Hey, family, this is Freeman. Glad you came to join me today on From Hood to Good Thinking. The topic for today is dry snitching. Yep, that's what I said, dry snitching. I know a lot of us don't understand what that means yet, but I'm going to explain that in a moment. Let me tell you what happened. Some time ago when I was in prison and I was facing some extremely big charges, I remember reading over the sentencing grid. At the time, I was looking at charges that were trying to convict me of a crime that would give me 27 to 32 years. And as I read through the sentencing grid, I discovered what crimes had to have been committed that they could prove so for you to get certain amounts of time. Now, during that same season that I was reading the sentencing grid, I had read through the Bible and looked at different characters in the Bible, and I remember thinking to myself what they would get along the lines of the sentencing grid in the state of Washington. So I happened to be reading Exodus chapter 2, and I got to verse 12, where it says that Moses looked this way and that way, it says, meaning he looked to the left and he looked to the right, and then he killed a man and buried him in the sand. And the first thing I thought was in Washington state, me being from Seattle, that would have been what's called aggravated murder, first degree aggravated murder charges would have been handed down to Moses and they would have gave him either the electric chair or lethal in injection. They would have either electrocuted him and shocked him to death or they would have injected him with clock stopping fluids that would have turned off his heart. It was obvious to me that this guy was not no average individual, but he was a cold hearted killer. Then as I got further on into the story, I read in Numbers there, chapter 12, verse three, it says that Moses was the meekest man on the earth. And I'm looking at this and I'm like thinking to myself, wow, this is wild that God not only calls to himself one of the guys that he considers the meekest guys on earth, but he's also a, a cold-blooded killer, which would have got electrocuted in the state of Washington. So I'm looking through that and I'm thinking to myself, wow, this dude was a cold piece of work, right? But God taught him his ways. The Bible tells us in Psalms 25 and 9, it tells us that God taught Moses, the one that he called the meekest of all men in Numbers 12, 3. He taught him his ways, which means God used an individual who would have been convicted and killed in Washington state to do great things for him. Now, here's the thing that was the, that really took it over the top for me. First of all, Moses is writing the story himself. He wrote the Torah or the first five books of the Bible himself. So God actually spoke to him and he wrote it out. And so he's writing the story. And in the story, he includes the fact that he looked both ways, killed a man and buried him in the sand, which would have proved aggravated first degree. And I thought to myself, wow, this is crazy. So then I go on and I read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3 through 4, about how David uh, basically became a sex offender. I know you're saying, what in the world did he just say? Yes, David, the beloved king, became a sex offender in Second Sam, Samuel chapter 11, verse 3 through 4. You see, the Bible tells us that David saw Bathsheba on the roof, and she was beautiful. Maybe she was naked, getting cleaned, or whatever the deal may be. But he called for it. He had her brought to his palace. And then it says, and he lay with her. It didn't say that they had mutually consented sex. It said he lay with her. What does that mean? That means that a man in a position of power, in a position of authority, has now forced a woman to submit admit to becoming an instrument of sex for his appetite. What would that be considered in Washington state? A class A, class level three sex offender, which means that King David would have had to register in all of the states of America. I know that sounds crazy, but he definitely would have had to register in all of the states of America because being a man in authority and causing a woman to submit to sleep with her when she has a husband and she can't tell the king no is what's called rape. Then it tells us later that when the woman sends message to him to tell him that she's pregnant, he tries to get her husband to come home and lay with her so that he could pretend that it was the husband's child. I mean, this story is really a mess. If you look at it, you'd be like, wow, David is a cold piece of work, right? And so David tries to kill him. It talks about that in 2 Samuel 11, verse 15, and then he ends up killing the husband, right? 
But God said something about David that was big in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. God said that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, I remember thinking to myself, Moses is the meekest man in all the earth. David is a man after God's own heart, right? And then I read the story of Paul, and it discovers that I discovered that Paul basically was a killer as well. Paul was there when Stephen was killed in Acts chapter 7, verse 58 through 60. Paul said that he killed folks out of his own mouth in Acts chapter 22, verse 4. Paul is the type of individual who was not only killing folks, but he was killing Christians. So, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, wow, as I read through these stories, right? And we know that Paul wrote a large portion of the New Testament in the Bible. So I'm like, God, okay, I see you use Paul mightily. Had him write a large amount of the New Testament. You used Moses mightily. You had him write the first five books of the Bible. You called David a man after your own heart, made him the king, and even named Jesus after him because they called Jesus the son of David. So it's obvious to me that these people were of importance to you. So if they're of importance to you, why not just tell me that Moses was the meekest of all the earth? Why not just tell me that David was a man after your own heart? Why not just tell me that Paul was an anointed man used to God? Why did you have to tell me that Moses killed a man and buried him in the sand? Why did you have to tell me that David was a sex offender and also a killer that killed a man after he committed a sex offense with the guy's wife? Why did you have to tell me that Paul was a killer? What's the deal with all the dry snitching? Now, let me explain to you what dry snitching is. Dry snitching is when you tell on someone and you don't necessarily tell something that'll get them in trouble today, but you tell something that defines their character that makes people all of a sudden think they're shady and, 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 and they have the potential to do something wrong. So they're looked upon differently when somebody dry snitches. Dry snitching is the equivalent of telling on something someone did in the past even if they can't get into trouble with it today, you're telling on them so that people look at them under a different light. So I just flat out went to God. And I was like, check this out, man. What's the deal with all the dry snitching? Be real with me. Why did you have to tell me that Moses did first degree aggravated murder, which is what they would have called it in my state? Why did you have to tell me that David was a flat out sex offender, would have had to register and the whole neighborhood would know when he came around? Why did you tell me that Paul was the killer of Christians and that they sat their coats next to him when they stoned Stephen to death right there in Acts chapter seven? What's the deal? Why, why, why do I need to know all of this stuff? And I asked that question and I got crickets. Now, sometime later, I had been reading through Ephesians. And when I was reading Ephesians, I was reading chapter three, verse 17 through 19. And while I was reading there, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. He's actually talking about him praying that Christ can dwell in our hearts by faith and that we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at that scripture and I'm like, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God? Now, of course, I got revelation to go to Proverbs chapter 25. And I discovered in Proverbs chapter 25, verse three, that the heavens represent the height and the earth represents the depths. And then it says that the hearts of men is unsearchable, which would mean that the breadth and the length is defined in the hearts of men that is unsearchable. In fact, when it talks in this scripture about your faith, it's talking about the width of your faith or the size of your faith on the inside and the length of your faith, which means the length that you're willing to continue to live by faith and to walk out faith. In fact, there's a scripture in the Bible where the Bible, Jesus says, where is your faith? Why did you doubt? And, and what it really meant, uh, actually it says little faith. It's the scripture says little faith. Oh, you have little faith. But the word little there doesn't mean little in size. It means little in length of use. 
So the hearts of men that is unsearchable represents the depth, not the depth, the breadth, which means the width and the length. And then the depth would be the earth and the height would be the heavens. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at that scriptures and I'm, and I'm looking at the revelation that I'm seeing about the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God's love right there in Ephesians 3.18. And the Spirit of God said something to me. He reminded me of when I asked him that question about Moses and these guys and why he was dry snitching. And he said something to me. He said that he didn't tell the story of the evil of those men to reveal the heights of their evil, but it was to reveal the depths of his mercy and, and the height of his mercy and loving kindness and how he would reach down into the depths of evil men to snatch out from among them, those that he could use gratefully for his purposes. And it really blessed me because it showed me that God has the desire to reach into the depths of the earth, which is inside of mankind, inside of the evilest places in men and grab those men and change those men completely. Them having turned their hearts wholeheartedly over to him, then he utilizes them marvelously. I asked him one day, I said, God, I said, um, it's obvious that Moses and David and Paul were used mightily of you. In fact, almost the whole Bible talks about these three individuals and a lot of the stuff that they did or, or, or a lot of it is attached to the things that they said and, and referenced their scriptures, their word. I mean, all through the word of God and, and really the Psalms, which is my very favorite, uh, uh, is written a lot by Moses and David. So I'm like, what, what, what's, what's the, what is it that you like so much about killers? I know you're saying, are you serious? Did he just ask that? Yeah, I did. I asked God that. I said, what, what is it that you like about killers? Because it's obvious that you wanted us to know that these guys were killers. You wanted to tell us their story. He was dry snitching all through the word of God, explaining that these individuals were cold-blooded killers. What is it about killers that you like? What is it that they have in common that makes them of good use for you. And the Lord said something to me that really blessed me. I, actually, what I would have to include sex offenders, I guess, as well in that story because David is there. He said something to me that blessed me. He said that the one thing that these three men had in common was that they had the ability to commit wholeheartedly to a thought. Yep, that's what he said to me, that these three had the ability to commit wholeheartedly to a thought. And he showed me how oftentimes many people vacillate back and forth. They think the thought of doing something and then they don't commit to it. They don't bite down on it. They reason. They have 50 suggestions that come up on the inside. And as a result, they never do anything. Now, of course, we know the story that I'm talking about is these three guys doing much, much evil. But what happens is when you take that same type of mentality that says I'm willing to commit to a thought regardless of outcome, regardless of how it turns out, regardless of what people say, regardless of how people feel, I'm willing to commit to the thought. And I'm willing to commit to a thought that comes from God if you say that. What happens is God, because you say I'm willing to commit to a thought that comes from God, God now can use you because you're the type of individual that once God gives you the thought that tells you, I want you to go into Egypt and tell them the Pharaoh to let my people go. When once God gives you a thought and tells you, I want you to become the king of all of my people and, 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 and lead my nation. Once God gives you a thought and tells you that I need you to go and preach my gospel to the Gentiles, and it's going to be lots of tribulation and stuff that you're going to suffer, but I need you to go. Those type of individuals wholeheartedly bite down on the thought, and as a result, they produce much fruit. 
Now, am I telling you that you need to become a killer or some crazy dude like that or or end up being in prison like I ended up doing as a bad, bad choice? No, 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 no. What I'm telling you is that God loves everybody and God can use anybody who will be willing to commit to the suggestions that his Holy Spirit puts in us so that we can walk out, embrace, and become God's thoughts on the earth. In fact, God knew that you would be listening to this here short message today about dry snitching, and he wants to tell you specifically that you matter to him. What happened yesterday doesn't matter. In fact, Jesus himself was sent to, be, to, to suffer and die, to be suffocated on a cross so that he could pay the penalty for your sin so that God can look no more at your sin and use you for him. In fact, the only reason he told me that he involved us telling that story and had those guys tell their stories is because he wants to show the world that these, he still finds treasure in what the world would call trash. He still takes pleasure in the faith of the individual who will commit to his thoughts, no matter what thoughts they committed to before him. You see, God loves you, and God knew that you would be listening to this message, and he wanted to tell you that you are important, you are necessary, and his purpose for you hasn't changed. No matter what you've done, no matter how many bad decisions you've made, no matter how much stuff you feel like you deserve as punishment as a result of the things that you did wrong, God says his son Jesus bled and died, suffocated on a cross, died, and then he rose from the dead so that you too could rise from the dead brand new. You can stop taking on thoughts that create death in your life and in the lives of others, and you can start taking on thoughts that create life, not only in you, but in the world around you, because you become an instrument in life as you take on God's thoughts, commit to them, and then produce unto God's glory. How will your story end? Sure, we told you the story of the beginnings of Moses, David, and Paul, who was called Saul of Tarsus before his name was changed to Paul. Sure, their story started out terrible, that in fact, God wanted to use that story and tell it in his Bible so that he could show how much he's merciful, how much he loves us, and how much he could bring change in the life of an individual who's gone from the depths of sin into the heights of his purpose for their life. Can I pray for you? Father, I pray for this brother or sister listening to this message. I thank you, Father, that you remind them that they are loved and that you still have a plan for their life, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you no longer remind them of the pain of their past and remind them instead that yesterday ended last night. And even though they may have made lots of bad decisions since the blood of Jesus was shed to pay for it, they now can grab a hold of your thoughts, produce your word in their life, and be great successes in the earth. I thank you, Father, for causing them to be contributing citizens that do great things that bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, I decree it, so be it, it is so. Lastly, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to have the honor of leading you in this prayer. I simply need you to say it out loud if you believe it and are ready now to receive Jesus as your Lord. Say this. Say, Father God, in Jesus' name, I give you my life. I receive Jesus' payment for my sin, and I take his righteousness and give him my sin. I am now born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the family. Hope to see you again here later on From Hood to Good Thinking, where we'll be sharing many more thoughts. God bless you, and you have a wonderful day.